At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. What will the second half hold for stocks? Can tech keep up the momentum? Joining me to discuss and debate those critical questions, Anastasia Amoroso, Joe Terranova, Surat Sethi, and Steve Weiss. We check the market. Stocks trying to rebound, as you know. Dow's three-week winning streak ending last week. NASDAQ breaking its eight-week win streak. NASDAQ's under pressure. S&P is too. Dow's a marginal winner at this hour. Yields down. Uh, we're on recession watch, I suppose, uh, across the markets at the, at the particular time that we're, we're having this conversation. All right, Joe. Um, we've had a pretty good first half of the year. Sure. Right? And unless you're simply only invested in Dow stocks, then you're disappointed because you're only up 1.5%. Um, and it's been a surprise for most people that we've had this kind of a run to, over the first six months. Without question. What now? What now? I think what now is you have to plan for the second half of the year, and you have to take a look at the calendar and understand some of the challenges that will be in front of you. Um, I've said over and over again, the probability for a flat to negative quarter resides in Q3. But let's talk about what's going to happen here in the interim. You are going to have a significant rebalance for portfolio managers out of equities, which have in the quarter, S&P's up 6%, NASDAQ's up 12%, into taxable fixed income, high-yield investment-grade municipal bonds, basically flat. So that's what's in front of you right now. In fact, J.P. Morgan says that the overall selling in equities could be around $150 billion. JPM's looking for a 5% pullback. They say there's a light catalyst calendar. The buyback bid is beginning to decline due to the blackout period, which lasts for a while. And stocks are likely to fall as a result. 5% pullback seems the most likely outcome to them. The rebalance is part of that. 5% correction, I could see it. 4206, 50-day moving average. Where are we in the S&P right now? 4347, 41,1900 day moving average, 3994, 200-day moving average. But let's remember something, Scott. You have to get past earnings. Earnings are the most important indicator for the remainder of the year. Not the Federal Reserve, not inflation, but earnings. Do you get the V-shaped recovery? Well, part of that goes to, and we'll get into it in a minute, Sarad, is... Because you've had so much multiple expansion with tech, yep. you better have the earnings now to yes. back up the multiple expansion that you've got. And I'll go through just how dramatic multiples have expanded through, especially mega cap tech. Goldman Sachs says the two most powerful tailwinds now for stocks are gone, being positioning, which was light, and sentiment, which was negative. So you've had money come in, right, from positioning, or at least money move around right. from, you know, cyclical and value into growth. And that sentiment was so negative, now it's not so negative anymore. So you've lost two of the key catalysts as you enter the second half of the year. Make sense? It makes total sense. And to your point of positioning, 
it's also rebalancing within the stocks, right? You're not just rebalancing out of equities into fixed income or treasuries. Uh, you're also balancing within what has become too big an exposure, right? Tech has become a really big exposure in a lot of people's portfolios. Mm, that's you, that's a big question, right? So, that, yeah. So, are you going to look for other opportunities, and especially in front of earnings, because if the multiples expanded so so much, and you've seen that happen in some of these large cap stocks. Where is the opportunity, whether it's in healthcare, it's in defensives, uh, it, it's in other areas, even some, some select utilities. So I think that's where you're going to see. So you get a double-edged sword, right? You get positioning and you also get rebalancing. The other thing, Anastasia, is that, you know, time, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've had a pullback. That's what Deutsch is talking about <laughs> today. The last meaningful equity sell-off is now over three months ago and a modest one, three to five percent, typically every two to three months means a pullback is now arguably overdue. I mean, you can make the argument that stocks are overbought, a pullback is overdue. It really doesn't mean much unless, of course, you have the event that some are speculating that you might, and you do get a 3 to 5% pullback, whether it's Deutsche or JPM calling for a similar sort of uh, sell-off. Yeah, I mean, Scott, I'm sympathetic to all those arguments about valuations, positioning and sentiment. They're now getting stretched. And I think what we got last week, 1.5 percent pullback in the S&P and something like four and a half percent pullback in semiconductors. I think that might be a start of something a little bit deeper. And just to drill down into positioning, for example, I mean, what's really driven this rally over the last six to eight weeks has been everybody jumping in and trying to chase this market, trying to chase tech. You know, it's everybody from the systematic traders to hedge funds who have significantly added to their net longs. It's also the retail trading. And just look at the volatility, for example. The fact that call option volatility is as low as it is, that tells you that's been a significant amount of chasing. So I think that part, that chase is starting to get exhausted. And then sentiment, more and more investors have gotten to be bullish. Even the economists, I mean, it's interesting that even economists have been ratcheting down the expectations of recession. So that tells you there's a turnaround there. So, but when you have this setup, Scott, you know, positioning that's no longer a tailwind, sentiment that's no longer a tailwind, valuations, by the way, have expanded a lot on everything from tech to semis to the FANG stocks. You need a catalyst. For this to kind of go the other way, you need some sort of a catalyst. And the thing is, we haven't had a negative catalyst. But now, as I look to this week and the next couple of weeks, you know, Joe, uh, you know, and Sarat mentioned a couple of points. It's about earnings. You know, the thing is, going to the first quarter earnings season, the expectations have been cut down dramatically. That is not the case for the second quarter. Estimates were cut down by 2%, but the average cut is about 3 or 4%. So I'm worried that investors are a little bit too exuberantly positioned for the start of the second, uh, second quarter. And then, by the way, we get all the central bank hawkishness, and I think we'll hear more of that this week. So those are the catalysts that I'm looking for that could take us, let's say, 5% lower. Weiss, what happened to this notion that the bulls were in charge after after, you know, sit in the back seat that the bulls had finally had their moment and they seized it yep. and they have momentum. Do they still have it as we enter the second half? Or are we all of a sudden now thinking about, OK, rates are falling. We're on recession watch now. we got earnings coming up. Your buddy Mike Wilson says fair value for the S&P is thirty one twenty six. He says the S&P appears 20 to 30 percent overvalued based on current level of manufacturing PMIs. Now, he obviously wasn't prepared for the kind of move we've had in the market, so he hasn't been right on that after being you know, negative and right through much of last year, as you have been, too. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it depends how you look at the numbers. I mean, if you look at the equal weighted S&P, treasuries, you know, uh, short dated treasuries like two years have actually outperformed because you've got a 5% yield and you've got on the return of the S&P less than 3% after last week. Last week. So, yeah, I don't know that he's been that wrong. He's been wrong not picking, as I have, those seven stocks that have had a tremendous move. But in terms of the broad market, no, the market hasn't been bullish. The bulls can, everybody can tell the stories. With any market, everybody can tell the story Well, what's your want. story? What, what, what's the story you're telling as we enter the second half? So the half? story I'm telling is I do believe there's going to be a recession. I do believe that there is a good chance of a global recession. We saw the German PI, PMI numbers, and that's the way it's going. And that's what the Fed needs to get their, you know, their game in order because they're focused on inflation. Inflation has been stubborn at this level. So what's that mean then for the second half for stocks if you think we're going to have a recession? Is 20 to 30 percent overvalued? Does that make sense to you or is that I don't think a little too over the low. top? I, I don't think and I don't think, saying. I don't think he's saying we'll get there just saying based on numbers it's overvalued. Multiple expansion with the big cap have driven the numbers. Well, I mean, Look, he said use, using market-based cost of capital implies fair value for the S&P's 31.26. Correct, but it doesn't necessarily mean we'll get there. If you take the normal PE in the market and where earnings are, yeah, you should be there. However, that's not what's been happening in the market because that's the same story that we've had for the last six months and year. So there's that disconnect between what history has told us and what the new investor that leads these things tell us, which is these markets are not normal markets. They haven't been normal for years. There's a new normal that we're seeing. So the answer is, I don't know. I do think the economic numbers are going to continue to weaken. Mm -hmm. I do think that the consumer broadly is going to be under pressure. That's not a good story for the market. However, I think selectively, I don't see huge risk to those mega cap names because that's been the safety trade. Even if you look at today, despite NASDAQ being down, those companies are sort of okay, right? Well, you have, new, you have a new Except record high for, for Apple, yep. new Meta 52-week high. Yep. So, I mean, that, that's where the action's been. And that's where it's going to continue to be. I don't see any reason for anybody to sell those stocks. All right, so, so here, I mentioned earnings before, and, and here's why earnings are so important. On Closing Bell the other day, you and I had a conversation. You gave some great statistics. You said month to date, industrials are up 7%. I'm looking at the current PE on industrials 21 times. Current PE on the S&P is 18 times. Okay, so tell me, is that a story about strong fundamentals? Are we having an economic contraction? Why, why would industrials be up as much as they are? Or is it just purely on momentum? Is it a case of Carnival Cruise Lines, which you're seeing today? Carnival's down 12% off a fantastic earnings report. Why? Because the stock was up on earnings. So I think when earnings roll around in July, the industrial sector is a great example of, okay, validate the price appreciation in the recent quarter and year to date. Why is it up? Is it momentum? Or is it true fundamentals? Well, it's momentum. You, you, Joe, there, there are a few things to it. And you can't let what happens in the market dictate your view. Otherwise, why do I'm not talking about the market. I'm talking about industrials. You can't let any sector of the market but you, dictate your view. No, 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 wait view. a second. I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to have a debate with you. But you're telling me there's going to be an economic recession. Yeah. I already think the economy is contracting. I think the economy is in the I, I midst of a contraction. But I look at industrials, okay, I'm pulling up the industrial leaders year to date, okay? Top five, within the top five, United Airlines, FedEx, Delta Airlines. Why are the airlines contributing so much strength in the industrial sector if we're having the economic First contraction? First of all, I've always maintained the airlines are not industrial companies. But Steve, you can't They're just dismiss companies. It. 
I'm, I'm not dismissing it. I'm gonna, if you let me talk to you, I'll tell you. Okay. Okay, if you want to take a look and say, okay, the industrials are 21 times, which is an inflated number, then everything's okay. We're not having a recession or the market's discounted recession. I would tell you there's no reason to ever do fundamental work because you can just look at where the market is that day and then, like a lemon, you could follow it in. If you want to do work where the opportunity is, is to either sell those stocks or to buy others where the market's lower. Speaking of right? then industrials, why'd you sell deer? Because it's been a great trade. It's a trading vehicle. I still have a recession view. I've traded it twice, had great returns trading twice. It has enormous moves. Look at the move today uh, for no reason at all. It's just purely momentum stock for value players. doesn't trade in the fundamentals. You're just looking to be a day trader in this market for the most part because of your view. No. I don't mean position. to be critical. I'm not trying no. to be even critical. I'm being, no. I'm being serious. No. Is that, is that what First your all, strategy is? Right. Day trading, to me, is not a pejorative word. You take a look at day traders, whether it's Citadel, whether it's no, Steve No, like Cohen, I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to phenomenal. be critical. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not a day trader. For, saying, most, I mean, for you, 90% of my portfolio, I am not a day trader. But when I see opportunities in a market where I believe it's hard to generate return, obvious opportunities, and I could be wrong, I could be obviously wrong, but so far, I'll trade those, Deer being one of them. But you don't see very much married to any position that, that you have. I mean, Well, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Well, you've been in and out of a, a lot of different things and, and multiple times. I think no, that's but very not true. not everything. Not everything. I, I, own, I own a lot of treasuries. I sold some because I was coming up to, I had six months and they were... You know, they were rolling over. But like you just bought so, Amazon, so, right? You didn't own Amazon. You just bought it. How long are you going to be in Amazon? That's a great question. I think Amazon, here's why I bought Amazon. First of all, I haven't day traded uh, GXO. I haven't day traded Google. I did go out of Microsoft a while ago, came back in. I didn't trade it even though I knew momentum took it to a level. Yeah, but you've been trading be in and out of the that. queues. You have. You've been queues trading are trading vehicles. Queues are trading vehicles. Um, so, yeah, I'll trade them. Absolutely. I sold them last week or, or early last week. You could trade. So Amazon, it's a good question. Amazon has gotten a lot leaner. What I hear in the market is that they're still getting rid of warehouse space. They're still selling, uh, you know, selling properties. Uh, AWS, they're putting more money into it. I expect a reacceleration in AWS. Um, so, so that's why I bought Google, uh, Amazon. It's going to be much more efficient. It's not compellingly cheap. But I also believe you'll see trade down to more buying on Amazon for essentials than you would shopping in stores. See, this whole notion of the multiple expansion that we've had in tech when trying to evaluate where tech's going to go in the second half after a 30 plus percent run for the Nasdaq. And for example, I'll, I'll read you the numbers. On January 1st, Apple's forward PE was 20 and a half. Today it's 30. Microsoft, 23. Today it's 33. Alphabet 17, now it's 23. NVIDIA was 34, now it's 56. Amazon was 46, now it's 89. Meta was 15, now it's 24. Tesla was 22 and a half. Tesla's now 74. It just gives you an idea of what has driven these stocks. And now at some point the rubber has to meet the road, doesn't it? Of the, word, of the earnings yeah, have to the word is come just, into where the expectations have gone to. The, the word is justification. And, and to Steve's point, and again, I'm not, disagree, I'm not disagreeing with Steve. I'm just saying industrials have rallied so much. What is going on there? So it has to be justification. I think you're at the point right now in the recovery for the market year to date where you have to see fundamental justification along with momentum because a lot of the market is rising on momentum alone. Well, so you sold, well, you, you trimmed Oracle and Meta. I did. Right? And, Bo and both you, have had tremendous, tremendous first halves. Right, and if you look at Meta, when we were talking a year ago, it was a dog, and 
look, the multiple has become too big a position in my portfolio, but I also look, and, and you look at Oracle, right? I mean, things trading in the 20s. It hasn't traded in the 20s since like probably 1999. Uh, but the issue that I'm gonna, that, that's gonna face is, to your point of carnival, is when earnings come out, and remember the point in the first couple quarters was efficiency, right? Right. What are we going to look like? We're going for earnings growth. But we're looking for earnings growth when things are slowing down. So we have to be really careful what they're going to say on these calls. Because even if they keep consensus and there's not good enough, you will see con you know, multiple contractions. So just there is more risk here on these larger cap stocks, even though they are owned by everyone, because you can get positioned out of it. Let me give the simplest answer to Joe's question. Why industrials 21 times? Because the assumption is that they're trading off trough earnings, right? So the multiple expands when you're at trough earnings. My position is I don't believe trough earnings have arrived yet. So I think people... Well, so you're in the Mike Wilson morning. camp who says the earnings recession is, is, is arriving or whatever, whatever he said. I have his note in here. Fair, uh, he said the earnings recession is... or whatever. Currently, well, the earnings right. recession but would have to be pulled. Can, can, can I just times. also, can you guys well, break, we're in it. break up the industrials, right? Because your airlines trade at six, seven times. So yeah. there are other companies in there that are trading at 25, 30 times that we're probably looking at in there that are really causing the huge multiple yeah. expansion. Dan Ives of Wedbush says tech could be an, up another 12 to 15 percent in the second half. Jonathan Krinsky just published a note, says NDX hasn't had a down July since 07. It hasn't had a down July since 07. He said it's on pace for its best first half ever. We think this year has very high odds of a July surprise to the downside. Do we need, are we worried about tech pulling back? Berenberg says it's running out of steam. Headwinds are building. What do you think? I think tech can pull back for sure, but I said last week on the show, and I believe it, there's a mega cap put within the market. And I think if tech does pull back, I'll see, I think you'll see a tremendous amount of buying show up there. Uh, let's remember where positioning and sentiment was at the beginning of the year that lent itself to being such a positive catalyst to the recovery we've had year to date. I don't think portfolio managers want to get turned around again the way that they were being so significantly underweight to technology. And I said before, fundamental justification has to present itself in the form of earnings. Well, so far year to date, it's been difficult to find that except in the areas surrounding AI and technology. What makes you sell some of these tech positions you have, Weiss? Meta, Microsoft, Google, we just talked about Amazon. So uh, Microsoft's unlike LaSalle because to me, they're the winner in AI. So Wherever AI goes, so you're, be you, the you have no problem then with the 33 times forward multiple that they have. Uh, I'm not completely comfortable with it, but in this environment, I am comfortable with it because I don't view it when you look at some of the others. My point is they'll grow quicker into the earnings multiple and support it than most of the other stocks. So 33 is high. Meta, the multiple, no. I don't think the meta on multiple is particularly high 24 times on a relative basis. So I'm not looking to sell that. I think that what Apple did last week, which was launched there or the week before, which was launched their goggles, sort of gives wind to the sales of Meta, who's got the lower end product and came out with subscription service today. You must not, so, I mean, but you're fine. You're buying Amazon. It's 89 times. You just you just bought it. Bought, so. Amazon's always been 80 times. They barely made money. They've only showed profits when they've wanted to, when the market has allowed them to. So I bought it like 119, 120. Um, 
Look, I think it's, it, it, keep in mind my positioning. Most of my positioning is in treasuries, so I don't have that much market exposure. So if I can find market exposure in an area that I think is safe, it's fine. It's not news to anybody that Amazon sells at such a high multiple. That's not a story that's going to break news at any point in time. By the way, um, can we get an intraday of NVIDIA, uh, gang, please, back in the uh, control room? It's down 4%, it's down 4% um, right now. I mean... We've had some people on the show recently who've been taking some profits in NVIDIA because obviously the stock has had a ridiculously amazing run. It's up almost 200 percent year to date. We've talked about, you know, the multiple having expanded dramatically, even though the, the P.E. on it was cheaper after earnings than it was before because of the guidance that they gave on their revenue expectations. But you own NVIDIA. How are you thinking about NVIDIA as we make the turn, so well, to speak, into this into the back nine of the year? I mean, I trimmed it earlier in the year. I'm just trying to keep it within a 2% position in our portfolios. I like the company, but, you know, it's just at these valuations, it's pretty high. They're going to have to execute next few quarters, um, but I'm not going to sell more of it now because I already have my position in there. But, I mean, I like it. I think long-term, NVIDIA, Microsoft are the ones you want to play yeah. in AI. Take a look uh, at AMD. On, that's down 20% since its peak, more than yeah. 20%. Anastasia, what are you thinking about tech as we uh, we think about the second half of the year and what it might bring? Yeah, look, I think everybody should be looking at valuations in tech right now, and they are getting stretched from a near-term perspective. I mean, if you just look at the chart of all the various sectors, relative PEs, relative to their own 10 or 15-year history, tech is for sure the most expensive sector, and then it's followed by communication services. So I think near term, the valuations have gotten extended, and more and more people are going to be having this conversation is where do I want to trim, where do I want to hedge, you know, to lock in the stellar gains that we had for the first half of the year. Having said that, Scott, and to come back to Joe's point, I agree that where are people going to be looking to buy the dip? It's once again going to be in the tech space. I was looking at some numbers the other day about the potential, the total addressable market value of AI and all the companies that benefit in the hardware space and the software space. And that TAM was projected to double from 450 billion towards 900 billion by 2026. And by the way, it's not just semiconductors, it's a lot of the software players. So I think people are going to be looking at that, the secular opportunity and rotating back into it on any pullbacks. And the other thing I would say, Scott, you know, as we approach the earnings season, you know, fine, this particular earnings season, maybe the expectations have not reset significantly. But if I look at 2023 in aggregate and 2024 in aggregate, which are the sectors that are going to be delivering the most earnings growth? It's communication services. It's tech. So some of the names that we're talking about. So that's why I'm definitely in trim a little bit of the gains here. You know, expect a buyback, a pullback in tech. But it's one that I'm going to want to buy. All right. So we're going to keep our eye on uh, some of these moves, uh, particularly NVIDIA, which we said is down about four and a quarter percent uh, as we speak, near $18 uh, on that stock. Uh, so we'll watch that as uh, markets are under a little bit of pressure today. Uh, NASDAQ right now is down about two thirds of one percent. Looks like a decline of about 93 points. We're back after this. We do have another bullish call, though, on another tech-related stock. It's hitting a fresh 52-week high. We'll talk about it. There's the chart when we come back in two minutes.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. All right, we're back. We're going to do some calls of the day. Uh, number one, Uber today reiterated outperformed Bernstein. They say your bull case has arrived. Price target goes to 50. Serata, go with you first. The bull case has arrived. Did you know the stock is up 81% year to date? Now I it's do, arrived. because I have cost bases in the 20s when I doubled up last year uh, to take tax losses. So I know I, I've owned it for a while. I like this company. So a couple of things that have happened here. Firstly, they're focused on cash flow. That's happening. That is going to move the stock ahead. Secondly, this is a company that actually has been using AI for a long time. It's finally coming to fruition because they use so much technology to get them, you know, be really productive between their drivers. And thirdly, what's happening is you're going to see a transformation of shareholder base because the value guys didn't think it was cheap enough. The growth guys didn't think there was any growth. And now you're actually seeing growth in a company that's producing positive cash flows. Joe. I'm not getting out of this one. You know, in the past, I've traded around this name. It's been a series of starts and stops, but I see the fundamental inflection point. Yeah. I see the free cash flow. I see the profitability. And now all the momentum is there. When you study momentum, and the stock is not in the S&P, but this is a $90 billion market cap. This screens at one of the highest levels for near-term momentum. It looks as though it's obviously going to take out last January of 2022's high at 45.90. And above there, Scott, it is nothing but clear skies towards 64, which was the high in February of 21. Okay. Uh, Weiss, you have it too. I do own it. Look, I, I bought it, I guess, low 30s or so um, because it's a monopoly, essentially. I mean, you've got Lyft there. They're trying to make their way back. But I don't know how successful they'd be. There's a couple members of the senior manager team are excellent, but they have lost a lot of people. If you're a driver, where are you going to drive for? You know, you can do for Uber. Plus, they've got the other things. But, but the bottom line here is excellent, excellent management. When he took over, he had a vision. I'm going to get to profitable, profitability. I'm generate EBITDA, and he's done that. So now he's got pricing ability on his side, which will help, in my view, well, drive it even higher. So, so add to that. They are now so focused on, you know, the consumer, right? So you're going to work from home is slowing down. People are starting to travel more. 
all those are coming right to where Uber is. So I think you have to kind of focus on what they've been doing. And they've sold off so many of their businesses that don't make money. Yeah. That was a really important catalyst. So capital efficiency is also really important. Here. So what about Sherwin, Joe? Sherwin-Williams got upgraded today uh, to outperform at BMO. Price target to 275 from 269. 11% upside from where it is now. What do you think of this call? Stock's up 4% year to date. Stock was added to the Joe T ETF at the end of April around 238. But this is a stock, again, that is going to have to justify the recent price appreciation. And a lot of that is going to come in the form of is housing going to be more resilient than was expected. So I would say this is more guilty until proven innocent than anything else. Yes, prices appreciate, but you need to see uh, housing participation. The jury's out on that one. I'm not so sure. Disney, price target gets cut, Surat, to 110 from 120 at loop. It's been a Mickey Mouse stock. It has. It, it is. It hasn't done anything. It has done nothing. I mean, essentially, there are some catalysts just to, in the future, what Iger's going to do with the businesses. The sum of the parts is so much greater than the whole. It's trading like at pandemic levels. So there is a lot of value there. The question is, what do you do with the Hulu stake? What do you actually, how do you monetize? Uh, you know, all your, your IP assets. So I think there's value, so wait and see. I mean, it's not a momentum stock. You're not going to buy it and expect it. Well, you're, they, are you, you're willing to wait? Because, I, I mean, there was a wait. moment where it had momentum. Yes. And now it's so dramatically lost it, <laughs> right. it's unbelievable. Right. So so as, as a value play here, this is a company that has great cash flows. Um, and I think management, you're going to have to see what Iger's going to do. He's not going to be there forever, too. So who's going to be the next team as well? I think that's what people are waiting all for. All right, waiting for some answers there. Okay. Pippa Stevens has the headlines for us. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, closing arguments began today in the trial of a former Florida sheriff's deputy working at Parkland High School during the 2018 mass shooting. Scott Peterson is accused of failing to confront the shooter who murdered 14 students and three staff members. His case marks the first time a U.S. law enforcement officer has been tried in connection with a school shooting. Rent prices may finally be easing up in the United States. New numbers from Realtor.com show the country just saw its first annual rent decline since it started following the data three years ago. Still, the report found rent prices are still 25 percent higher than in 2019. And Delaware State Senator Sarah McBride launched a historic bid for Congress today. If elected, she would be the first transgender person in Congress. McBride is running to replace Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rogers Chester, who is vying for Delaware's open Senate seat. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, Bitcoin rallying more than 10% in the last week as interest grows in crypto ETFs. We have more on that today in our ETF Edge. We'll do it next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. And welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Two weeks ago, BlackRock filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Last week, Wisdom Tree also filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF. That renewed interest is helping push Bitcoin over $30,000. 
highest level in a year. But we know the SEC under Gary Gensler is hostile to the concept of a spot Bitcoin ETF. He's rejected every spot Bitcoin application. So why bother filing? Let's talk with one of the principals behind one of those recent Bitcoin spot ETF filings, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, was. Uh, I was at a conference a few weeks ago where Gary Gensler spoke. He was actively hostile to crypto, saying it was rife with hucksters, fraudsters, fraudsters, scam artists. Why does Wisdom Tree and BlackRock believe you might change Gary Gensler's thinking about this? Jeremy. Well, they have allowed futures-based ETFs. Now, the question is, why have they been so against the spot market. And you go into you know, the rejections that they've had. We've, we've had some experience with some of the rejections. And you know, the, 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 they talk about manipulation of prices, and they really want exchanges that are sharing information to, to question this market manipulation. So I think one of the things that the recent filings have in common, without talking about any specific filing, is that they're trying to have data sharing surveillance agreements between exchanges to, to help make the, the SEC comfortable with this question about price manipulation. They got there on the futures market, and the futures market is based off of spot prices, right? So they, they were able to get comfortable, but part of that is because the futures market is sharing information with the SEC. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as you as you see that unfold, that, that's going to be one of the key points that we think of these new applications. And of course, I should say, Jeremy Schwartz, introducing you, your uh, Wisdom Tree's global CIO. I, I guess the question is, what tweaks to the application process ha have you made that might uh, differentiate yourself from these recent filings, from other applications for a spot Bitcoin ETF? I mean, they've all been rejected. What, what is different about yours and BlackRock? We, it's hard to comment too much on these things. You have people have to go read the details of it, but the, the key points are, re revolve around this, this this data sharing surveillance and how can can we work with the SEC in a way to make them comfortable with the, the surveillance of those prices. I, I think your Gensler's basic reason for rejecting Bitcoin ETFs is the space is unregulated and rife with the potential for fraud. How are you going to ameliorate those concerns? How are you going to address those issues? That's his basic position. Well, he wants these exchanges. He wants more official regulation. So to the extent that they they are doing what it, it traditionally makes people comfortable with traditional regulated exchanges, you know, you see them taking uh, trying to take actions on coins that they're calling securities. They haven't said that about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been treated as a commodity, which is why it's trading on that futures market. And so to the extent you can get over their concern each at a time and being regulated in terms of sharing data, I think that's going to be the key for these for this latest application. OK, we're going to have a much more on the future of Bitcoin ETF that's coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. Also joining us, Nate Geraci. He's the president of the ETF store. We will talk Bitcoin, but also the recent drop in gold and gold ETFs. That was quite noticeable last week, as well as recent broader inflows and outflows. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. Stuff. Thank you, Bob Pisani. Up next, check on the committee stock summit picks. That's right. We're halfway through the year, just about. So we're going to do that next. All right, welcome back. It's time now for a mid-year check-in on our annual stock summit. Surat, you're up first. So you had Morgan Stanley, you had our parent Comcast, yep. you had Halion. So Morgan Stanley, year-to-date's down 2%. So financials obviously have not had a good run of it. 
No, uh, and Morgan Stanley got caught up in the whole financials issue. They're not really the bank like all the regionals are, but they got pulled in with that. So I do think they're going to have to separate themselves, and I think they will. 60% is wealth management, great management team transition going on with James Gorman. I like the dividend 4%, so I still own it and would buy it if, I, if, if it pulled back. Our parent company's had a good year. It's up 15%, uh, as is Comcast. And this Halion, which I'm told you bought more of. I did. Halion is a spinoff from Glaxo. It's a personal care product company, just like Kenview was spun off from J&J. Companies are under-owned. They've got good cash flow. They've got earnings growth. I want to own this company, especially as we are we see, we're going to see earnings contraction going elsewhere. So keep on buying this one, Hell, Hallion. So you're, you're sticking with all three of these? I am sticking with all three of these, but I am not sticking with my XLF. I think the whole thesis of the XLF. Oh, that was your sector? Yeah, that was my sector. So I, I think. But you like more, you're staying with Morgan Stanley, but you're not staying with the financials? Yeah, because I think there's too much overhang on some of the whole sector now, given what just happened with you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. It's gonna take a long time for them to get back uh, where they were before. Anastasia, how about the financials over the next six months? Yeah, I think you have to pick apart the sector. I mean, I agree if you look at something like KRE, the regionals bank ETF, I really don't see much catalyst because the net interest margins are still likely to be under pressure. But one interesting idea within financials is capital markets activity and whether they can start to rebound in the second half of the year. Now, I actually think it can. We have a record IPO backlog. And if confidence continues to stabilize, valuations stay around these current levels, I think some of those IPOs may actually hit the market. So that would be positive for uh, capital markets activity within the bigger financial banks. And then the other thing is M&A. M&A activity is also starting to pick up from really low levels. So that's a benefit. So you could play that through some of the larger banks, or you can look at some of the alternative managers as well, where valuations of private assets might be benefiting if some of the companies do actually go public. All right, Weiss, you've had a big winner and a big loser. I, big, I think we have to go to break now. No, the big loser is Moderna, yeah. which is down 34% um, year to date. And now I'm told that you sold a large portion of it when did you do that? Yes, I, I'm bleeding it out over time. Uh, when you look at the insider sales, I mean, I, I've never seen a CEO sell much, so much stock. I've also never seen a CEO own so much stock. At the peak, his position worth about $12 billion. He's still got $3.5 billion worth of stock, so pretty well investing there. But look, I still believe in the future. That's undeniable. Uh, they've got 48 uh, therapeutics and vaccines in the pipeline. The issue is, is that we're not going to see real news on that until the end of the year at best because they're still enrolling in phase three. So they're in phase three on their birth defect vaccine, which has a huge market, no competition in the market. RSV is also a big vaccine for them. There is another one in the market and we'll see flu. But none of those are really near term except for flu. And this being a catalyst driven sector and no real appetite for biotech stocks. I took a significant portion of the uh, investment off. I feel like you're more bullish on this name than almost any other that you've owned for a while. Um, I wouldn't, I'd say long term, long term, yes. The story has not changed when I owed a long term. But, you know, short term, it, it had. So, so, so and, and Stefan's sales are under 10B5. So he's not selling in response to events or what he expects events to be, but still just an inordinately large level of sales. 
And the so, market's going to queue off that. So GXO was, was obviously a huge winner. What about this profitable health care, the XLV, which has not been a winner either down the No, it's not been a great call. Um, I don't know that I would have made that call any differently at the beginning of the year. And I'm still sticking with UNH and Humana. Uh, so that's where I'm really focused. Pfizer's had a tough time. Unfortunately, they fit into that ETF. Um, and that's, it's a hits-driven business, and you're not seeing many hits. So, As you recall, I sold my Merck at like 111 mm-hmm. um, and just not even looking at going back in those. Joe, uh, Prologis, 4% year-to-date. Texas Instruments, 1.5% year-to-date. So both of those have underperformed. Uh, Microsoft has been a huge winner, obviously, up 40%. And then real estate's underperformed, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Real estate was uh, selected based on the potential for rates to move lower. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Quite candidly, you know, other than the XLK or communication services or communication discretionary, those are the sectors where you want to be right now. So if I could wash away the REIT sector, I would. PLD is an actual REIT, so it's, it's outperformed the overall sector year to date. It is a very good company. Texas Instrument, I'd love to remove it. I would insert uh, Broadcom in its place and Microsoft speaks for itself. All right, up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're back on the half just after this quick break. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, obviously sitting right next to me, thinking about the second half for his midday word. starting to, um, you know, the first half, I think there was a way in January to say, wow, there was a really lopsided consensus that we we can shoot against here. So if you were willing to bet that soft landing was a greater possibility, that big tech had been humbled enough last year with the decline. All those things that we know uh, have gone in the positive direction. Uh, you, you were able to do it. To me, it seems a little bit less clear, more mixed. The market's on a little more even footing. I think everything that's gone on in the last, let's say, six days can be categorized as rebalancing of one sort or another, you know, coming out of the big winners into some of the laggards. Today, the equal weight of Russell 1000 is up 85 basis points and the S&P's down. That's a reverse from what we've seen uh, for a while right now. I think you defer to the overall trend, which turned positive in the indexes a few months ago. But that being said, it feels as if, uh, you know, we could be in a give back period or just just basic chop that uh, makes it seem like less of a one-way trade. Well, because I feel like, you know, we talked about this top of our program, this idea of being on recession watch from here forward. You know, people have pushed out their expectations of it because it hasn't arrived. Yes. Um, But you have a lot of people not willing to give up on it yet. That's right. So you can't necessarily kind of de-age the cycle. I know there are some people out there saying, oh, we're seeing signs of some early cycle activity with housing coming back and manufacturing can dig out of a hole. Uh, But you still have unemployment where it is. You know, it tends not to go down much from where where it is. It it tends to trend higher. And again, it reminds me of these other periods when we thought we were late cycle, like 2019. Um, You were just waiting and waiting and waiting, and the Fed was going to get incrementally easier, but we weren't sure if that was going to be enough. Uh, You had an inverted yield curve. I always like to point out, three-month, 10-year inverted for like, I don't know, several months in the middle of 2019. I don't give it credit for calling the COVID recession, but I think it's just worth remembering we've been in these types of periods before where it doesn't feel like there's a fat pitch coming our way. Got to keep our eyes to, uh, we mentioned NVIDIA. Yeah, also absolutely. down intraday four and a half percent. The Nasdaq's at the lows of the day, so yep. we'll watch that. We'll talk about it uh, as I see and, on the and Tesla time. right again trading in lockstep yep. uh, with with Nvidia. Okay, uh, thank you. We'll see you in just a bit. Uh, we will do grade my trade, and we'll do it next.
Let's do Grade My Trade. Anastasia, you are up first from Scott in California, the insurance ETF. Scott sold it uh, recently, the IAK. What do we think about that? Look, I think it's a good move. Of course, you know, the insurance ETF is down about 6% for the year, and you don't want to sell your losers necessarily, but I think in this case, it's the right move. And the reason is there's three risks that are buffeting the sector. First of all, the commercial real estate risk, and that's really pronounced for life insurers. So that's impacting that sector. Then you've got the broader credit conditions. As you know, insurers invest the bulk of their portfolio into credit, and some of that credit is not always investment-grade credit. So if we do inch towards the recession and credit conditions deteriorate, that's another thing insurers have to contend with. And the last thing, this is uh, almost July, so we're kind of on the cusp of entering the hurricane season, and we've got a 30% above average probability of an above average hurricane season. So that's typically also not a good time to own insurance stocks. So I think it's right to take some of the losses and move on to other opportunities. All right, Weiss, to you. Uh, Dollar General, does it have support around 122 bucks? Well, you think it'll hold it? Yeah, I mean, look, stock's trading at 170, so I think there's a long way before it gets there. I wouldn't worry about that. This stock gets down to, there's some, plenty of support before that. If it gets down to that level, the 122 level, much bigger problems in this market than that. So I'm not worried about it getting anywhere near there. Surat, Amy wants to know about PXD. It's currently around 203. Let's just say it was bought a little higher than here. I mean, I like this. I want to hold this for the next three to five uh, years. This is going to be a volatile stock, um, but it's got a great balance sheet, gives you a good dividend, and, and, a, and a management team that is very focused on capital discipline. All right, we got a balance. We'll do final trades after this break. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern time. NASDAQ's at the lows of the day. So Dan Ives is going to join us on Closing Bell. He thinks, I told you top of the show, he thinks tech's got a, another double-digit percent run between now and the end of the year. We're going to test him on that. Lauren Goodwin with me, Liz Young, Victoria Green. So I see uh, all of you in a couple hours' time, I hope. Take a look at NVIDIA. We highlighted it uh, earlier. Uh, this stock is one of those that is leading the sell-off today. There's your look at it. It's down 4 and a quarter percent Mike Santoli, who was just here, mentioned the fact that Tesla and NVIDIA have been trading pretty much in lockstep. There's Tesla on an intraday basis, too. We're going to flip that and show you that it is one of the bigger decliners, and that is dragging down the queues as well, which we're going to cycle through as well. You get a pretty good picture at 12.59, exactly what's happening in this market and why it uh, is trading where it is. Dow is still positive by about 40, but NASDAQ's down by more than 100 points. So let's do finals. Anastasia, what do you have for me? Uh, I'm going to hide out in cash a little bit, either uh, cash, money market, or short-term treasury ETF. Look, we're clearly experiencing some sort of a pullback here, and at the same, and I think there's more of it to come. And at the same time, the Fed expectations for July are just about fully baked in. So I'm buying treasuries. Okay, thank you, Surat. What do you got? Uh, I got Uber. I'm sticking with it. I think uh, momentum is behind the stock, and they're just going to execute. Okay, uh, Weiss. This is not a day trade, but Meta is also one of those that's getting hit today. I think there's probably still some more downside in it, but I'd pick some up if it trades down lower. Uh, there's no support, really, until another 20% lower, but none loss on a long-term basis. I think wherever you buy, you'll okay, be okay. Okay, yeah, so a lot of the mega caps are getting, uh, yeah. getting hit pretty good today. 
Joey, what do you got? Just a little bit of update. Natural gas trade continues to work. EQT now above $40. That's the way I've been playing it recently. Right, Staying with stuff. it. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.